0: I mean, He's been putting in work for so long. He's putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 152 of 8Bit's interview podcast. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John Opeck. Joining me today is a repeat guest. We've been going long enough now that people can come back and have more to say about what they've been working on. And today we've got John Safran, author of a new book, Puff Piece, a deep dive into the tobacco industry, but more specifically, uh, Philip Morris, the cigarette giant corporation responsible for the heat stick uh, and manipulating the English language to squirm in and around the different laws and regulations. There's so much more to talk about with that with John as we get into it. But um, you might remember John from my previous episode talking about his book, Depends What You Mean by extremist. A few years ago episode 18 but it's way more likely that you'll remember john from his many endeavors outside of books including uh john safran's music jamboree john safran versus god the time that he was crucified in the philippines perhaps or his triple j radio hosting with father bob there's really not much that i can say about john that you probably shouldn't already know um he's hilarious he's an excellent writer and i really enjoyed puff piece so If you have any interest in, uh, I guess, like the health industry, as far as like cigarettes and tobacco and nicotine and the laws legislation around these things, that's great. But there's also just another side of this, which is linguistics and the way that these big companies can use language and change the meaning of words to suit them. And it's a really fascinating look at the way that uh, these big corporations can just weasel their way around to to make their own reality and to twist. The meaning of words so there's a whole lot of that here to talk about so I'll bring in John here to articulate the points way better than I can so without further ado here's John Safran enjoy the show John thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's great to have you here thank you uh, I don't know if you recall this is actually your second appearance on putting in work I spoke to you after your last book
1: yeah I vaguely I was, in an, was I in an alleyway drunk <laughs> at the time or drinking at the very least you sure were? yes <laughs> I can't even remember what we talked about, you know.
0: Well, we talked about extremism because that was uh, the book. The book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it looks like you're sober this time, at least visually, it seems that everything's above board. Oh, wait, there we go, <laughs> cheers. It is locked down, so. Mm. Anyway, thank you for coming back. It's um really cool to have you back on and to be able to see you this time and without the Melbourne trams in the background. I might get you to give a quick pitch on the book. Maybe I think you could describe it better than what I could.
1: Well, well, the starting point was uh, the United Nations has a World No Tobacco Day each year mm-hmm. because they're against cancer. And a couple of World No Tobacco Days ago, Philip Morris, the Melbourne people, the world's largest cigarette company, took out a full-page advertisement saying that they were going to shut down as a cigarette company and relaunch as a health enterprise to try to get the 1 billion smokers of the world, including their own customers, mm. off cigarettes. And I was like, is this true? Like, is this like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of apartheid, <laughs> where there's just a plot twist because it's so consequential because 52 million people die of everything each year. And out of that 8 million of those, are uh, uh, cigarette related. So mm. how wild if this was it. But then I started uh, just doing a bit of a snooping and you wouldn't believe it, but you can't take what the makers of Melbourne <laughs> cigarettes say on face value all the time. Yeah. Sometimes there's a slippery second agenda. They're
0: still making cigarettes, right?
1: Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, first of all, they're still making cigarettes as we understand it. But I would say in their little uh, pivot... They're still making cigarettes on this new product, which they claim isn't a cigarette, is a cigarette. And and so that's what uh, the book looks into. It's very much a book on words about how you can really bend the world this way and that just by labeling things and relabeling things this way and that. And uh, I guess we're all familiar with that kind of idea of like, the language is very powerful, but I've really hit upon something here. Totally new, original reporting here where, <laughs> where Philip Morris have done like the most incredible life-saving. And when I say life-saving, obviously I don't mean the people who are inhaling the tar into their lungs via their products. I mean, their own company. Yeah. They've uh, saved themselves not through science or... Uh, or that's rather a secondary thing like product redevelopment is a secondary thing using science to try to come up with a different version of a cigarette. That's all like a secondary thing. And what the primary thing is, is words. So they just, uh, amazingly they put out a cigarette and they say, it's not a cigarette, it's something else. And they win because, uh, Because they won. I don't even even have to (laughs) explain why they won. The backstory was that the European Union, their parliament, uh, said they were going to ban menthol cigarettes. Mm. And Philip Morris correctly was like, well, this is obviously step one and they're just going to ban all cigarettes across Europe. So this was the beginning and the end for Philip Morris. And so the European parliament said, yep, May the blah 2020 so last year this morning everyone wakes up and from that point on menthol cigarettes are banned you're not allowed to uh sell them you're not allowed to produce them so in the lead up to this philip morris said okay cool 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 cool. we'll go along with this no no we agree with you like we we should be phased out or whatever and so they said we we agree we're not going to manufacture menthol cigarettes anymore in europe or sell them and then they said, "Oh, by the way, while we have your attention, we actually have this new product." And uh, God knows it's not a menthol cigarette; it's a menthol heat stick. And then they show the heat stick, or and it's uh, yeah, I'm holding it up. Are your mm-hmm. listeners going to be seeing this, or is this is they our? Won't. This
0: is just for my benefit, yeah.
1: Okay, sure. Like, what does that look like to you?
0: It looks like a cigarette to me.
1: Yeah, it's tobacco rolled in paper with a filter at one end that you plant between your lips, inhaling nicotine and tobacco into your lungs, exhaling a discharge that looks incredibly like smoke. But they say this isn't a cigarette, it's a heat stick. And, uh, and an
0: aerosol, right?
1: Yeah. And so they, and so just to be clear that like this, By the way, if you're getting confused by all this, I was thinking that's not my fault, dear listener. That's them. I'm I'm simplifying their efforts to confuse everything. So I'm going to add in another thing here. What we're talking about here isn't a vape. So this isn't about Philip Morris getting into vaping, really, or at least not immediately. This is a product that is not a vape, but which they say also (laughs) is not a cigarette. And... Why is it not a cigarette? Because I've changed the word. And it's, like, amazing. So that morning in May 2020, everyone wakes up and menthol cigarettes are banned across Europe. You can't buy them. But menthol heat sticks are allowed. But a menthol heat stick is just a cigarette. they just changed the word. So it's like it's this, <laughs> am- this, this book is sort of a look into how you really can change the world by uh, language, re-badging things and yeah. uh, and evaporate uh, evaporating the meaning out of languages we know it because we live through a time I bring this up in the book that we're living through a time where like everything's up for grabs like what is truth? What is mm-hmm. truth? I have my own truth I get to decide what my own truth is it's like okay fine that might work fine if you're just doing that on a like a small scale level uh In a contained way, yeah, but Philip Morris have well and truly jumped on the uh, well, what is truth (laughs) bandwagon? (laughs) You know, that annoying kid in first year uni in philosophy who's like, Oh, what is a chair? (laughs) What is a chair? (laughs) You know, that you just want to strangle him, or why am I saying student? That's a philosophy teacher, like, Oh there's no truth like is that a chair is that not uh, what is a chair well philip morris if he uh has taken is got all the annoying aspects of that but applied it to something that's going to go on and uh affect the healths of millions and millions and millions millions of people by saying well well, what is a cigarette anyway right that's what my book's about
0: yeah that's a good intro um I, i find it very interesting like you've you i guess penguin has done a really great job with the you know the the little kicker on the front cover of puff piece saying that it's about how they've set vaping a light and burnt down the english language because yes when, when i first heard that this book was going to be about cigarettes and, and tobacco i was a little surprised just because it's not the kind of territory you've covered before but as we got like a, just a few pages in i saw okay it's a kind of a a look at marketing and language and for someone that's a um, as pedantic as as you and i about the way that words actually do have meaning and literally should mean literally it shouldn't mean anything other than literally but it does doesn't anymore it, it's interesting as you've if you've dived into those topics and it's just as much about to me marketing as it is about how a, a company with money like Like you said before, they've they've won and it seems like they just keep winning and it can only come down to that if someone powerful enough says something, people will just accept it. Whether it is like Philip Morris International making a claim that they don't do something and they're innocent of this thing that Philip Morris America are very guilty of, but we don't need to mention that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it even got even deeper and more precise in uh, being about marketing and even about language. It, It really, for me, the, I mean, it is about all those things, but for me, the thing is just the power of rewording things and, and the power of leveraging that we're living through a time where everything's up for grabs and yeah. And what is truth? And everyone has their own truth, <laughs> and, and, it's, and so in Philip Morris's case, it's like our own truth is that this tobacco rolled in paper with a filter at one end that you plant between your lips, inhaling nicotine and tobacco into your lungs, exhaling a discharge that looks incredibly like smoke, is not a cigarette. That's our truth. <laughs> Who are you to tell us? Who are you to deny us our truth? So, and I, and I do bring up. Uh, in fact, this was the real risky thing with my book, or the f- real fear people always ask me "They like, go, are you scared because if you don't know who i am listener i do things like i've done like docos where hang out with clansmen and get nailed to a crucifix and things like that and uh, so in a in a ritualistic way by the way that makes me sound like a lunatic uh you know it's a the crucifixion was going to happen even if i did wasn't there it's like a ritual that they do in the philippines yes. anyway can we move on from this the anyway people always say well aren't you scared <laughs> and i'm always scared what, that I like have...
0: of, of consequences from philip morris is that what they're saying no 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 like
1: i'm oh. I scared i'm going to be lynched by the klansman oh right and i and you know like aren't I, aren't I scared i'm going to get beaten up aren't i scared i'm going to rip off the crucifix <laughs> and my hands are still going to be there on the crucifix and there's my body handless lying on the ground like aren't i scared of that but usually i'm i'm, I'm scared of like i'm not going to get the story i'm not going to be able to tell this like i'm not going to be able to figure out how to make this an engaging story or whatever um in the case of puff piece the real scary thing for me like that i had fear was when i started writing it so i'd gone out doing all my research for maybe a year i guess you know on again off again and then i had all my interviews i had uh, all my research and then i'm sitting down to start you know writing the actual book and as I start writing, and I'm thinking, oh, this is about words," and then I keep on writing, and it just seems to feel right to me because it felt like I had a an angle that hadn't been, you know, overdone or whatever. And then, as I'm writing, I'm going, "Jesus Christ!" Because like the deadline was looming, I'm like, "I'm really betting the whole farm on the notion you can write a book about vaping and cigarettes and fill up philip- and make it all about." words and like that's like the book's got a thesis like the book's doesn't isn't going all like, like for instance the book's not really that much even though it kind of happens in the background and touches on it the, the book isn't about kids dying of uh overdose of uh, uh what do you call it uh of a uh, black market vape juice or whatever mm-hmm. like that, that's like mentioned in the background but it's not like because i like imagine a person picking up this book or, or another writer writing about it says well this book has to be about how uh, people are dying in America over vape juice um, because they're buying black market um, uh, vape juice or whatever. And the book's kind of not really about that. (laughs) And so that's like a big, and obviously that's the most zeitgeist connective point, if you were going to write about this kind of area, would be to talk about J-U-U-L. And talk about how vaping is uh you know deadly or something like that or not deadly or uh, either way yeah <laughs> and 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 so when i started going well man this book's not really about that it's about philip morris it's about philip morris's words games it's about them weaseling into all these different areas including the world of vaping even though their product isn't a vape uh and i'm betting the whole farm that like you can write 380 pages about this and that when I hand it into Penguin, they're not going to be going, Jesus, John, we gave you that advance. We've been waiting here. You're really pushing deadline and you've come back with a book that's not about uh, Jewel and not about uh, vape deaths in America. So that, that was really scary. And when I handed it in, it was so scary waiting like the two weeks or whatever for Penguin to get back to me and go, oh my God, this is... A really good angle and <laughs> as opposed to yeah john we get it like you can do a thing of you can cover like maybe a chapter you know a chapter about word games <laughs> but why the hell would penguin be releasing a book about vaping that's not <laughs> that's not centered on you know jewel and vape deaths in america or whatever but yeah so that's a scary bit for me like that i've screwed up and i haven't i've haven't got the story and it was even uh doubly scary because it's the book is about how I've, no one's really noticing this thing that Philip Morris is doing. So I start yeah. having self doubt by the time, like you read the book, like you're thinking it's like funny shtick. Cause I'm talking about how no one cares about this. And why is no one else writing a book about this? Why am I the only one researching this thing? <laughs> am I mad? Maybe this isn't a thing. Maybe I think this is a story and it's not a story, but even though I kind of write that in a funny way in the book, like i was really thinking that i'm like <laughs> am i chasing this story that's not even a story um and people are just going to go uh, john okay are <laughs> you writing about philip morris putting out this product that they're claiming isn't a cigarette and you're saying it is a cigarette but uh, it's not a cigarette john uh, <laughs> or whatever i was like or oh, alternatively like oh good one john um yeah Corporations Lie. Oh, (laughs) congratulations, John. Yeah, I'm really glad I bought this book. Like, all those those things were kind of going on in my head. But then this has been such a redemption. (laughs) Like, I can't tell you how happy I am by the kind of feedback I've got because it's like, it really was, what do you call it, a a referendum Mm -hmm. on whether I'm mad or not. (laughs) Like, am I mad? I'm, I'm nearly sure this is a story, and I'm nearly sure it's bizarre that no one's covering it, but maybe I'm mad. Yeah. And then, oh, God, thank God. The, that's It's really, it's the feedback's not just, oh, thank God, people find my book funny or whatever. It's like, thank
0: God, I'm not mad. <laughs> it would be a, an interesting way to find out that you're crazy, wouldn't it, to write a whole book and hand it in and your publisher <laughs> go back to you and say, mm. I think you need to get your head checked.
1: I know. I mean, the, the <laughs> difference between this and my previous books, I think, I think for the better, because I actually, I, I actually like listen to criticism. But what I do is, I, is I try to read between the lines. So, for instance, I, I figure out if someone's criticizing, I try to figure out whether they're coming from a good place or whatever, or whether they're just mm. out to get me or something. But then, parking that to one side. I try to kind of understand because often like even people on your side, for instance, even like editors, and I'm not talking just for my book editors, but my TV show or whatever, like they'll be feeling like something's not working or that's not right. And they can't quite express it or whatever, but then it's like, no, hang on. They're onto something like, cause this person's not against me. And this person is feeling there's something lumpy or something like that. And so I should try to figure out what actually they're getting at, even if they can't, if it, like, yeah Mm. I mean we we can all do this it's like we watch a film and we're not liking it but then we've had to sit down (laughs) sit sit in a room and explain it be like well I don't know I don't like it like I can't figure that out but as as I'm writing my books as I'm the one who has to write them I have to try to figure out uh you know criticisms and how it can help me improve my next book or whatever Mm. so uh I I was I decided with this book I was going to not not leave a lot of reading between the lines because i always there's one element of art that i really like both in my stuff but also in others which is this kind of creating this disorienting thing where you kind of you don't really know what's going on because it's such it's such a it really like pumps through your veins this whole thing of like what the hell's happening like for instance i once got on a documentary got exercised by an evangelical christian who was an exorcist right Mm -hmm. And I'm screaming and and people watching it are just like, what the hell is he act, not acting? What? And they are all waiting for this bit where at the end, like I explain it all and I don't. And that was my artistic intention. <laughs> Once I saw the footage, I just go, well, it kind of plays in with how like the world's crazy and everything around spirituality is like, mm. how do you prove it? And what's true? And what is it? <laughs> anyway, but regardless, I really loved how, like I didn't explain things I did the opposite <laughs> it's sort of like like it throws people around and if I would have explained things it would have just sucked the energy out of it all and like even my last book I just thought when about extremists it's like I they say crazy I go into these to these crazy protests and everyone's crazy and me kind of not explaining things too much like just you know like for instance well, people will say something like ridiculously racist that's not only ridiculously racist, but sort of like hilariously hypocritical considering who they are, you know, like for mm. instance, whatever, like to say a Chinese Australian saying, listen, we've really got to worry about this uh, immigration of Muslim Australians or whatever. Right. So, but in mm-hmm. my last book, I just thought on a creative level, it was better to like leave that madness all untethered. Or, uh, Cause I just, I kind of like that or whatever. And, and like, for instance, in that book, uh, uh, like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. I like the whole book where he's going crazy and he's on his drug binge and in Las Vegas. And then there's like at the end, it kind of starts to explain, tries to explain it too much or something, right. or tries to tie it back into. And I'm like, wow, well, I wish that bit wasn't in the book. Anyway, so I always thought this is going somewhere. I always thought <laughs> I, I just would always want to be the disorienting guy because, and also I thought. I'm quite good at doing that in my art and which is not nothing like most people, you know, like to to have like viewers or readers kind of like, whoa, and, and kind of affected, (laughs) but confused is sort of like it's something a lot of people would like to do and they wouldn't be able to do it. Right. But for this book, I decided I'm not going to it's Philip Morris is trying to do exactly that. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to tether things back down because um, this is so confusing, even when explained well. So my God, how confusing is this going to be if it's not explained well? So this book, there's a lot more of me tethering things down and because I think this this is one of those stories that, because no one's covered it before, that when told straight, not straight, but when, but when told with clarity is still totally bizarre. So, you know what i mean so yeah. so if like me talking about how they've they're launching a cigarette and just claiming it's not a cigarette like it's that's a lot more strange and fascinating if i really kind of hold the reader's hand and go this is what's going on and it it, it doesn't lose its bizarreness and fascination by me kind of doubling down on trying to explain what's going on and um so, so I read this uh, this dude on who'd written a little review on Audible about my book, and I hadn't thought about this before, but he said, he goes, oh, usually in John's work, he's off doing crazy stunts, but in mm-hmm. this, if Philip Morris is off doing all <laughs> these crazy stunts. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe that, that. I, was like, I haven't thought, I had to like tether things down because, yeah, Philip Morris is being the John Safran of <laughs> multinational companies trying to give you leukemia.
0: Yeah, it's funny you, you said before about how, I guess, the, the obvious fact that, yes, corporations are evil or whatever, but the the goal that they've got, like the stones they've got to... Have I lost you? No, I can hear you. Can you hear, oh, hear me? The, oh, the video yeah. just froze. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> the, the stones they've got to paint themselves as like a tech company and like as this health industry leader that's, you know, um, I guess trying to save the world from from cigarettes that they're still making you know like that's insane and and that needs to be pointed out and you did a really great job with that
1: oh you would not believe and i spoke to like some of the young people who work there or whatever and they believe it right i know this sounds so strange to people outside the bubble outside philip morris's bubble Mm. but so but they actually think they're on a human rights crusade that's equivalent to what uh, like Quit Victoria, the yeah. anti-smoking group, or, or even Amnesty International. I promise you, I promise you. And, and in my book, I, I provide the, the the inside documentation of what they kind of send to each other that demonstrates this. Because, so so w- where they're coming from, they're saying that we agree cigarettes are deadly. So we're trying to get people off cigarettes with this new product. Uh, and so therefore, our where we're coming from is the same place that quit Victoria or the national health heart foundation is coming from where we're trying to save lives by getting people off cigarettes. And, but they go even further than that. I know this sounds mad, but they go further than that. They say that they are actually more moral than say the world health organization or quit Victoria or the national heart foundation, because They're providing, this is their perception of it. They're providing a practical way to help people off cigarettes with this product, which I don't know if we've called it, it's called a heat stick and you slide it into a thing called an ICOS or whatever. So they say, they say that, you know, quit Victoria and the others, Like they might have a good mission. Like they want people to get off cigarettes, but they're not actually doing anything practical because they're just saying, Oh, you just have to quit. And, and like, people are addicted to nicotine. So how are they going to quit? So quit Victoria is like just leaving them in a lurch whilst we're better than quit Victoria. (laughs) We Philip Morris the Melrose people are better than quit Victoria. Not only better, but better in getting people off cigarettes because we're, providing this practical way to do it that's not just leaving people addicted to nicotine and tobacco Mm. in a lurch and they're so good at it that i bet you me even though i'm delivering that with a sarcastic voice and you know my intention is to try to like tell you my god that's manipulative rhetoric i bet you for some of you that was like hang on that actually sounds like a good argument like (laughs) I, i bet you like it, that, that's how clever they are with their little tangly way of doing things that even me with my sarcastic voice, the guy who just wrote the book trying to debunk all this, when I put it that way, their argument, I bet you, there's people who are like, yeah, you, okay. well, John. Yeah. why are well, you such a jerk, John. What do you want people to die of <laughs> cigarettes? You're nearly as unethical and evil as quit Victoria. And anyway. Yeah. So, and then, so in-house in the, Yet Philip Morris, they see this as a a campaign. It's just it's crazy. It's mm. uh, but it's like fascinating too. So they think so, b- b- because they're having trouble uh, recruiting people. People didn't want to work for Philip Morris because it's too much of a stigma. So how ingenious is this? So they're they're saying that this product that I contend is a cigarette. They're saying it's not a cigarette. So they're saying that because they have this one item this flagship product that isn't a cigarette, according to them, that therefore they're no longer a cigarette company. They're a company that's trying to get people off cigarettes. And therefore, as such, when you recruit people, you can say to them, listen, you're not joining a cigarette company. You're joining a company that's trying to get people off cigarettes. It's trying to end cigarette smoking. And therefore they can get people who otherwise wouldn't want to join a cigarette company because of the stigma. Oh, and by the way, as a side point, they still are selling just shy of one trillion old-fashioned conventional cigarettes a year. So even on that level, they're not getting off cigarettes. But So just just to be clear, like they're still pushing, pushing, pushing cigarettes wherever they can, but there's markets that either because of the law, like in Europe, as we're discussing, or just social stigma where... You know, it's just not considered acceptable anymore. This, that's where they're pushing this new product that's called a heat stick that you slide into an ICOS. And uh, so they're still definitely <laughs> they're definitely in the c- cigarette business still, uh, mm. uh, even on on their own terms. Blah. Please stop it, me if everything gets too confusing because no, it's not my fault. I'm trying to unconfuse things, but they're just... <laughs> You I've, know, read you the, know how good...
0: I've read the book, so I feel like I've got a decent understanding. But
1: Do, do, do you know how
0: brilliant <laughs> they are
1: at misdirection? Is their whole launch is launching the product that isn't the product you should be thinking about. So they've got, um, as you'll know, this is, uh, I'm holding this up, it's, it's called the ICOS, mm-hmm. and it, it looks like an astronaut's pen, it's really cool. Like it looks like something yeah. like a fashion model could have or something. And this is uh, the device because with a heat stick, which is that thing that I, I'm i contending is a cigarette. You don't, act, you don't light it on fire. Like you don't light it like with a Zippo or with a match or anything. What you do is you slide it into this device and you press a button and it heats up the tobacco to an incredible degree, but it doesn't actually let it catch a light. And therefore that's their very okay can we, i'm just going to cut to the chase They're They're their bullshit thing that <laughs> they're, they're saying that that's it's not smoke that's gen, that's discharging from this uh thing that looks incredibly like a cigarette because mm-hmm. they're saying it's only heating the tobacco into an incredible degree it's not actually letting it catch a light and because it doesn't catch a light it's not combusting and they're saying you need combustion for smoke to generate anyway that's all not true but anyway regardless that's not my point at this point (laughs) my point at this point is that that they're promoting the icos so that's that's this metallic looking device that heats up the heat stick right and they don't talk about the heat stick and so their whole thing is we're launching this 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 device called an icos we're launching the device for the icos and the reason they do that i realized is because as soon as you see the heat stick, you go, "Hang on, that just looks like a cigarette," yeah. as our our good friend Jono just said. And so their whole thing, like when they're pitching it, it's like this cost this heating device, blah 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 blah. And then they they even say uh, in their promotional material, they is this heating device, blah 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 blah, and they go, and you put a tobacco unit. They call it a tobacco unit or something. They, and it's just like so, 99999 no, 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 percent of the promotion is about this metallic looking thing and then they just go oh, this tobacco unit and <laughs> but the tobacco <laughs> unit that's the thing so that's the thing that's relevant because that's the thing that's either going to give you cancer or not give you cancer depending so how ingenious is they've launched this heat stick by launch you know launching the heating device that heats up the heat stick to distract you looking at the heat stick it really is the equivalent of like if in some ways, of if talking talk about the ICOS as opposed to the heat stick is like talking about the plug that you plug the iPhone into the wall as opposed yeah. to talking about the iPhone. So it, it, it's so brilliant. <laughs> I really respect them for what's in you know, my head so much.
0: You've become a an anti Philip Morris evangelist with the amount of passion that you're, you're throwing at us now, John. Is this <laughs> something that you're going to have to turn off once the promotion for the book? ends and you start working on something else or is this just who you are now
1: <laughs> oh do you think i'm sounding like a bit like a finger wagging like uh what do you call them like uh a, uh a, a, what are those people against alcohol and stuff like that um what's that word doc- i'm looking doctors? for <laughs> no not doctors no i'm more like i'm like some whiny finger wagging judging person who's no. like oh you can't
0: I don't think I that not. at all. I, I think that you've, re- even, not- you've researched this so much that, and and this comes back to I think this this theme that runs throughout the whole book, which is, am I the only one that can see what's happening here? I feel like mm. I'm taking crazy pills, and it, it reminds me of like the, the, that genre of movie, like the thrillers where like no one believes them that something's happening, like whether it's like the Fugitive, like I, it was the Man with One Arm, or like the the, the Terminator too, where sarah connor's saying like you know there was a robot from the future and no one believes you no one can see how crazy it is oh
1: yeah definitely definitely that's why i was i I think this book more than anything is the case for me (laughs) because (laughs) i i i uncover things here it's totally original reporting like that other and but in some ways i can only uncover it because of who i am and like like for instance that works a couple of ways like for instance Uh, I buy shares in Philip Morris International because I don't care. (laughs) Like, like I'm I'm like attracted to the idea of like, if I was a journalist for four corners or the ABC, Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. And, but this is just like, not only do I do it, but I'm like in some like messed up way, attracted to the idea of doing it because I know it's problematic, but I'm a storyteller, not an ethicist. And so the storytelling, I think this is really the case for me and the case for storytelling, because my instinct as a storyteller is that, my God, if I buy shares in Philip Morris international, that creates such a problem. Like suddenly, mm. like, have I done the right thing? And how can I report on this if I bought shares and blah, 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 blah.
0: It works so well. Yeah. It works into, there's so much ethics that you're talking, like there's so much about this book that's about ethics and is okay to work for them. It's okay to make the paper that they use in their cigarettes, you know?
1: Yeah. And and, and because <laughs> because I'm a storyteller, not a journalist or a, what do you call it? An activist. Mm-hmm. So I'm attracted to all these contradictions. I, I go to, therefore I buy the shares in Philip Morris International Because I buy the shares in Philip Morris International, I get access to things that I wouldn't get access to. Like I get to go on the financial calls, uh, the quarterly financial calls, conference calls that you're only allowed if you're an investor. Then when I meet people in Philip Morris, it throws a bit of weird static in that because they're like, well, hang on, he's an investor. So maybe he's on our side and that, that lowers their guard. So, and all this only happens because I'm a storyteller attracted to contradictions, including... The contradiction of me buying shares in Philip Morris, and and so. Do you still have the shares? Yeah, I do. But I, I've got to be honest. <laughs> the main reason I've got the, still got the shares is because I don't know how to easily not have them. It was I, I, this is like glossed over in the book because it was just too boring or whatever. But it was actually quite complicated to buy, at least for my stupid humanities student head. <laughs> To, to buy these shares in Philip Morris because they're not on the Australian Stock Exchange. Right. So, uh, anyway, this, it's so tedious. Even 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 <laughs> trying to explain to you why it's tedious. But like my dad, I had I had to talk to my dad, and then I had to meet up with this a friend of mine who knew about investing and stuff. And I was like faxing paperwork to the National <laughs> Australia Bank and stuff. It, it it wasn't in this world where you just think, oh, I, I yeah, you know, just I'm just going to push that button on. PayPal that's on the screen. Like the world we've been conditioned to where everything's easy. Yeah. Jesus Christ, this wasn't easy. But um, but yeah, that's okay. But so that's the main reason I've still got them is that sure. Uh I wouldn't know I really I'd have to put in quite a big a big effort to get rid of them. And
0: uh yeah they're probably going up anyway.
1: <laughs> I'm actually trying to find this word I'm looking for because I know I have it in the book. Uh here we go. Once I see it, wowzer—that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> so, do you think I'm a wowzer because of my book? I don't know what a wowzer is. A wowzer—if um, you defined it, wowzer is just like a, like during like prohibition times, oh. someone who's wagging their finger saying, "Oh, you shouldn't drink any moonshine or alcohol."
0: No, I think that you, uh, yeah, uh, you've you've, cut, you've how- cottoned on to the slippery ways and you just want people to know about it and not let them get away with it i feel it feels like the message of the book is i mean i don't know if there is a message and you spoke before about how hard it is to end these things when you've put so much research into it but like the the thing that i took away from it is that we all kind of have to hold them accountable and not get suckered into the you know the the spiel that they they try to pump out there about them being some kind of health conscious like sponsoring health forums and all this kind of stuff you know is that the message
1: nothing i think think the message is the power of words and just we've got to be careful that powerful people don't bend reality in new way like we we don't have to just go along to with powerful people redefining words and meaning Mm -hmm. because it is I, i mean in a more general sense like when i when i grew up this was discussion point around things like war because i think either the first or the second iraq war maybe the first one even and that's when people started noticing oh the the government's saying um collateral damage (laughs) and the collateral and they're saying friendly fire and they're using all these new terms that really distract you from oh there's some dude lying there in the sand and he's dead and his his skins uh, ripped open by by some weaponry or whatever so mm. I, I i guess in some ways this this book is like an updated version of of that message of oh you just be careful of terms and everything being uh, redefined and definitions mm. and blah 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 but of course the the kind of the very delicate dance I had to do this about that story is that uh, back in the first first Iraqi war days, it was like you're just taking a shot at George Bush and Republicans and right wingers and warmongers who were trying to manipulate the language. But now uh, people that we might consider on our sides ideologically try to do that as well. And uh, so, yeah, it was a very I, I, people haven't really I've kind of got away with it a bit. But, um, yeah, I had to do a bit of a a delicate dance of sort of (laughs) in the book of, like, bringing up that when it comes to word games, you know, it's the woke that do that as much as the uh, right-wing Republicans. And how do I bring that up without making this book sound like I've got some agenda, you know, like, like I'm in the culture war and I am Jordan Peterson and I am going (laughs) to... (laughs) <laughs> but, but so it was like a very delicate dance because it was like how can i not bring that up as in in 2021 that all sides play word games and mm. uh so i was, I was very careful because yeah. i didn't want i didn't want to become this distraction
0: sure so the w- one of the interesting things about like i guess the way that you write like it's a very comedic slant where you're not like it's a good trying to balance the research with the anecdotes and your own self reflections and and you know finding symbolism and things like pissing on yourself at the urinal or whatever. But I enjoy the the humor that you get from I guess the more meta presentation of like your writing process and you're in a monologue yeah. of like trying to sound like a proper writer and yeah. that that factors into even like the way that you um, agonize over. Whether to report on something that was asked to be kept off the record. So I'm interested in, I guess, the fallout from that as well as just the process in general. Like, okay, the, well, you, you, went, to, you reason... went to print with this thing that you were asked not to go to print with, and it was someone who was, I guess, a friend. Are, are they still a yeah. friend? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I did, I did cut to the chase a bit so people don't think I'm a jerk who aren't going to write the book. <laughs> I mean, we are talking about someone who was like the general manager of a. Uh, vaping company <laughs> you know what i mean so it wasn't like i was you know that i mean and i bring that up in the, in the book the, all the contradictions of and and also yeah. it was totally journalistically valid and all that stuff like mm-hmm. that but anyway regardless but, but you do touch on something interesting was that once covid hit uh because for my all my writing like the the reader once he's going along on my story and i can't tell you how things just don't make any sense in my books as soon as I'm absent. So in, in ways that you wouldn't even think. So for instance, there's a chapter where I, I'm on I'm over the phone talking to this dude from Western Australia who got busted by the the, the Western Australian health authorities for selling vapes or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got like the most fascinating story. And I thought, oh, maybe I can do something here as a writer where like we just have a chapter and it's his story and I tell it in an interesting way. And, and I'm not there or whatever. And it just doesn't work. And I was like, um, and, it, and it's not like I'm saying that it's like my editor at penguin random house is like, John, you have to like, there just can't be a, <laughs> I can't be a thing where I'm not present because it's just bizarre, like it doesn't make sense when you're reading it as a reader.
0: Like a third person versus first person.
1: Yeah, and so anyway, with that in mind, when COVID hit, it was like, hang on, like people really like my stuff because I'm always out there in the world getting fresh air on my face, getting dirt under my fingernails. <laughs> and like, and that's, and especially now in, uh, in the present day where there's so much writing that's just, people sitting on their laptop talking about that they read something on Twitter, like like mm-hmm. 98% of drama journalism these days is like, like racist attack. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Oh my God, what's happened? Have they, have they hung out with a Ku Klux Klan guy in Mississippi? <laughs> like I, John Safran did, did they, what did they do? What did,
0: they, they did they get for drunk? Tr- yes. <laughs> they just did, did they a get search drunk? on
1: Twitter. I <laughs> know. Oh, did they get drunk at a pub in Bendigo uh, with white nationalists? Like I did? John? No. And you just find out that it's like their entire, like trying to create some drama with their journalism is like, and uh, then I saw her on Twitter. Da, da, da. And I'm like, so I, I really feel like, okay, my brand and my angle And that i have against other is like i just go out there and like i I just find it like i i just wouldn't do something like it you know what i mean like like it just seems like no one wants that from me no one wants like oh my god john were you were you traumatized when you lay in bed with your laptop on your stomach and you search (laughs) for your name and then, then there was some guy with a Pepe avatar and he said, Hey Jew, what's up, Jew? They're like, no one's no one, no one wants that. They want me to be in the freaking forest with the clansmen, yeah. which I plan to do anyway. So anyway, so when they like COVID just really hampered me and was like, I'm stuck in my goddamn flat. And that that really uh Made me have to be lateral and start thinking of like what are sort of like uh, entertaining and funny and saffrony ways of um, of writing at this in my style when I am actually restricted hmm. from leaving my flat and, and thank God I'd already got so much um, info like I'd already gone to New Zealand. And got some great stuff there i'd already interviewed lots of people in the real world i'd already gone to shisha bars (laughs) i'd already got smashed or whatever here and there in the real world so then it was like i really had to start writing about the process of writing um, because that really grounded that really kind of like grounded it for like the reader that i'm still with john so john's at his keyboard but I'm still with him and I'm still, I'm still like, strangely, I'm seeing things through his eyes of him on his keyboard, writing this very page that I'm seeing now. And actually in the first draft, there was way more of that kind of meta stuff, but then the uh, uh, the editor quite correctly just said, he, he kind of took it out whenever there was, um, I've got a friend. Let, let me go back. I've got a, I've got a friend who says to me, meta isn't always better and so meta dear listener that's when uh, and everyone like, like first year film students love this as as i do like this is i always do this and it, it, it's it's kind of like where you step out of like you writing the book becomes part of the book mm. or you shooting the film becomes part of the film or, or or that kind of thing and so that's fine and can be good if done well like some one of my favorite filmmakers uh, like spike jones his whole thing is and Charlie Kaufman, who writes Spike Jonze films, he's like, he's just so meta. And so, so I love it when it's done well, but it becomes a bit of a crutch when, uh, and, 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 anyways, though, that basically the my Penguin editor just said that when you've got enough killer stuff, you don't need the meta. Like the meta actually is distracting. So if, like, if the reader's already like, oh my God, I can't believe John actually is having lunch with the guy from Philip Morris. Oh my God, I'm cringing already this is so uncomfortable but if if the reader's already experiencing that you don't need some like cheap first year undergraduate uni student kind of meta thing on top of it because it actually like it draws you out of the magic that Mm. you've like thank god you've somehow um you somehow got but anyway that, that that is a reason why with this book I had to do a you know a little bit of Referencing me writing the book because it it, it managed. It, I had to ground it somehow, in, in uh, and make it work in a reality where I'm locked in my flat mm. <laughs> and I can't leave my flat because of COVID and lockdown. And I, I feel like uh, so. There's a stretch in this book where I'm in lockdown and going crazy, and I feel like that's the kind of thing I'm going to get away with once. And I I, fe- I feel like. <laughs> It, and also because my hand's forced, like, so the reader knows my hand's forced, yeah. and I've already got a bit of capital built up with the reader because I have got ha, had all these adventures in the real world. But I feel like, man, lockdown needs to end because I can't do this for my next book. No, no one's going to be in the mood for my next book. Kind of going, chapter one. Okay, guys, I'm still here in lockdown.
0: <laughs> I was thinking that it's it's one of those things where like there's, I've noticed a couple of TV shows have done this as well, where like halfway through production, COVID hit, and you can tell that it happened because maybe they reference it or whatever. And that happens in the book. But I was just thinking like 90% of John's stories are, this guy came up to me at this party, or yeah. it's you hanging out with some <laughs> religion, or you hanging yes. out with some <laughs> religious leader. And those are two things that just can't happen. So you're gonna have to take a bit of a break, I think, before you write your next one.
1: Yeah, I reckon this book only works because I've got capital in the bank at the start of like like where, where like I have actually gone into the real world. So there's things, for instance, at the end, near the end of the book where I'm online on like a zoom conference with Philip Morris over their science. And I think that works. And ironically it's stuff I probably couldn't have got if so, so because of COVID Philip Morris were forced to do these conferences online that otherwise they would have done it. And you know, overseas, which I might not have ever got to, So I got to go to these online conferences, but having said that, like, yeah, trying to make them dynamic as a storyteller was uh, not, I mean, not in a bad way, but yeah, I I just have to be careful because it's like, it's, it's pretty undynamic. Mm. Like I'm on my laptop and I Googled my (laughs) name (laughs) and a guy with a peppy, a guy with a peppy avatar said, Hey, Jew. And like people reading it going, yes, great, Don, this is like, what a, what a great sequel to you being chased around a forest in Mississippi by a Klansman. You in your bed, <laughs> you in your bedroom, <laughs> being being vaguely annoyed, being yeah. vaguely trolled by someone with a Pepe avatar.
0: Yeah, it's like that that movie Searching, where the whole thing is like done on computers, like Zoom calls and FaceTime, yeah. and it, it's like investigative journalists are going to have to adapt to the to remote investigation as well (laughs) i think uh we're running out of time so i'm going to run through some questions that you can answer like maybe you can try and do quick questions uh sorry quick answers uh just rapid fire where do cigarette companies rate in the pantheon of evil industries are they right at the top or are they second to uh well, I guess up
1: until Philip Morris was pulling this stunt, their new one, you could say, well, people know that they all reported on. And mm-hmm. so up until they pulled this stunt, I would have put them further down. But now that they're being jerks about it, they're number one, <laughs>
0: number Philip one. Morris,
1: number one.
0: That's good for the book. Um, why do smokers litter so much, John? Is there anything in all your understanding uh, of the cigarette and tobacco industry? Is that true? I read that 65% of um, cigarettes get littered or something crazy like that.
1: I think it's because the kind of people who smoke are the type of people who are like existentialist uh. artists <laughs> who who just have a lot of misery and nihilism. And mm. so they're like, there's nothing to this world. <laughs> there's nothing to life. It doesn't what matter. What is truth? Yeah. Whatever. So therefore, as part of that, whilst they're going around um being existentialist artists uh thinking about nihilism that's where that's how they just flick their litter because it's like you know what what is a penguin that might have you know be choked (laughs) by by that cigarette butt like really is there actually a penguin there what is a penguin so yeah that's the reason why
0: Mm. philip morris probably told them that, that there's no penguin Yes. Cool. So p- being putting in work as the the title of the podcast, I'm interested, what was the hardest part of writing this book, whether it was the research or the actual construction part of, of this?
1: Well, it was all challenging, uh, but... What was the hardest part? I mean, it's all hard, but not hard in a bad way, and I'm not, like, complaining or whatever. Like, that's what's kind of intellectually stimulating. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people mm. would like to be able to have a job where it's hard in the way – my job's hard in a good way because it's right. sort of – it's stimulating. It means, my like, my, my brain has to be alive or whatever. So – I can imagine sitting like, down
0: hard... with, like, a hours and hours and hours of, of interviews to turn into a book yeah. would be daunting when you get to that flip in the process. Oh
1: totally. I, I work with a research assistant usually, which is just basically a person. <laughs> and they do like that like data wrangling and deciding what has to be transcribed and it's just yeah, because that's what really breaks my head is all this kind of practical stuff. Like that's where I kind of I can spend all day if I don't have a research assistant. But I is so the storytelling is kind of cool, or whatever. Like I can do that, but then, yeah, my brain just breaks having to like multitask and like even yeah, like labeling things. Like that's like that's a, that's the pain. Like people are like, "Oh, John, that must be so so scary. How can you do it?" Being chased around the Mississippi forest by the Klansmen trying to lynch you, and I'm like, and that's like, I don't mind that. And I'm like <laughs> sitting at home, and there's like there these files, and they've got numbers on them. I don't know. I don't know where that thing is that I said which I kind of think might be good for this chapter except I can't find it because all I've got is a thousand files with numbers. This is so that's why I get really like miserable and I mm. start reminiscing about the fun time of being chased around the Mississippi forest by the clans trying to lynch me. Yeah. Perfect. It is the it is the process that's trying to lynch me.
0: has there been any reactions from the industry whether it's people who work at philip morris or ex-staff or uh, other kinds of uh you know music mole equivalents who've come out since the book was published and and and, there's
1: been a little there hasn't been too much because because the book's more about philip morris weaseling around including exploiting the vaping industry because the book's not really pro or anti-vaping as such because that's kind of not what the book's about mm-hmm. so the book does bring up like there's conversations and it brings up people saying what why vaping so dangerous and then you ha- have other people saying why vaping isn't dangerous but that's like really not what the book's about it's sure. way more about Philip Morris trying to exploit that space including the vaping space so there have been vapors that a kind of lay that they like the book because the book could, for me to talk about this new Philip Morris product I've had to like really explain like why this new Philip Morris product isn't a vape and also why a cigarette isn't a vape so I haven't really got too much backlash from vapors and I did there's there's been a couple of vapors or one one in particular a vaping advocate who's just like on automatic pilot. So where it's like, oh, John's written a book about the, uh, this and it's about vaping. So I'm going to be like, um, he's anti-vaping. Anyway, it's just he's just kind of like gone on automatic pilot as mm. in like he's so used to people criticising vaping. Right. So there was that. But nothing that you wish you could add into the book? I'm trying to think. There was one thing which I could not figure out whether to put in the book or not, which was, because I couldn't find any, because part of the book is, it's about Philip Morris. It's not even about big tobacco. And again, that was like a storytelling technique where it's like, when you're a little guy on an adventure, you've got to have a dragon. And so my dragon was Philip Morris. And like, like I, for instance, I spoke to other tobacco companies and people who worked at other tobacco companies, but when I started writing it up, just like didn't work from a storyteller. It's like, no, there's just something kind of cool about my mono obsession with (laughs) with Philip Morris, (laughs) and which, and for some reason, it just did not work. As soon as like like it didn't seem emotionally true or something. Where um, as soon as it was like, oh, also I don't like British American Tobacco or Imperial brands. It just seemed like what? Like I can't tell you. It was just strange. It just didn't make <laughs> emotional sense. So that all had to be on the cutting room floor. Anyway, sure. I did find out this thing where uh they there used to be ads in the middle of some books, like cigarette companies would buy ads in books or whatever. And I was thinking it was kind of like a bit too late down the path from production. I was going, Oh, should I, um, that would be kind of cool if my book had like these ads, like reprints of these cigarette ads that used to be in some books or whatever, but I could never, so I was kind of like, when the book was printed, I was like, damn, should I push for that or whatever? But then I could never find any actual Philip Morris ones. They were like there cigarette ads, but they'll never they're always like some other company. So I'm just thinking, nah, it couldn't have been. Right. So I wish I, I wish Philip Morris had done ads in books and I wish I'd then reproduce those in my book. But at least you've um, got the tracksuit.
0: Yes, I've got the tracksuit. Yeah. Was that hard to find?
1: The yeah, I bought all these Philip Morris like Melbourne merch because so I thought it'd be cool for the photo shoots. And then, classic me being too clever by halves. Uh, apparently, it's against the law for newspapers to publish photos of me promoting Philip Morris. That's such a Saffron thing. That's awesome. But I've written this whole book with this like original research into Philip Morris. Yet somehow the first trouble I get into is promoting Philip Morris. And uh, my class, I really like that. I really feel like Sappho, you didn't sell out, did you? Like, it's such a Sappho dilemma to get into. Yeah. Like, getting in trouble for promoting Philip Morris in your book that's against Philip Morris. <laughs> but
0: um. That's great. Okay, yes. two, two more questions, then I'll let you go. This one has nothing to do with Philip Morris, but it's not every day that I can talk to John Safran about this. So, your last book was about extremists and something I've noticed yes. throughout COVID. You know, I work in healthcare and it's just fascinates me that this... Uh, this anti-vax and this anti- like lockdown kinds of these sentiments seem to be coming from the extremes on both sides and how that like you've got the, the, the left wing hippie who's like, no, I don't want the, I don't want to put this impure thing into my body and then you've got the, the right wing you know protester saying like the government can't tell me what to do. So do you find that interesting that they have this intersection or is that actually pretty common for extremism?
1: Well, uh, the, the weird thing to me is this stuff that used to be so fringe, like people wouldn't know about it or think about it in the mainstream, just becoming really the mainstream. So I remember the the whole irony of um, like years ago when I was looking at extremists, when most people weren't of you have these people on the far right and they're environmentalists <laughs> and, and because they believe in the purity of the land and things like that. And so the fact that that's now kind of burst into the mainstream and people are becoming aware of that, yeah, it's just wild. But it's it's not only the, the the extreme right. I don't think it's just oh they don't think the government should be involved in their lives. I think it is. There is a thing on the in fascism where it's like you you don't know, like impurities. Um, You know, Hitler. So, sorry to bring bring up Hitler. <laughs> you know, like like the Nazis were like we we don't want impurities and. That's why you have to worry about the Jews because they're dirty. And yeah, I mean, I guess people who are like anti-black, they're also like, oh, black people are dirty and we're pure. And so you have like, like this thing with fascism with cleanliness and purity is like a well-established thing. So yeah, you would have people on the far right who are like worried about keeping things pure and clean. And yeah, like Hitler was into environmentalism. Which just goes to show, Greenpeace, a Nazi. No, that's a joke. But <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> they uh, so yeah, because I guess guess being against immigration, part of that, your argument can be like, oh yes, well you know we've we've got land and we want to keep our land, our blood and soil clean, and you know, and you know these people coming from overseas are going to be littering and everything, or you know even worse. But the yeah, so, so this whole thing of of the left and the right on the extremes joining together is, like, fascinating. But maybe it just always was going to happen. I mean, I, I find it fascinating. I, I don't want to pretend. I think this is where it gets confusing. I don't think everyone who's on the... I, I think people can be really messed up and have really the wrong ideas that should be challenged, like about vaccinations or whatever. But it's I, I think it's kind of wrong to think that they're all being motivated by some like weird, like race thing or whatever, when really there's, there's probably plenty of examples of it being the other way around where it's like people with screwed up views on race, seeing this as a situation they can exploit. So you have people worried about um, the government getting in their life or they're worried. And it's like, fair enough. They're worried about their businesses shutting down Hmm. and or they're scared of like the things like worries that are on in a context are kind of like fine or whatever and then you have these uh people who have very bad intentions like they don't like jews or black people or whatever and they they, they see this space and then they get in there and sort of uh mess shit up um so yeah it, it, it is fascinating the the left and the right getting together and, and not even like less melodramatic ways i find it fascinating like the Nicki minaj who you Mm. know as a black american female rap artist she posted on her social media tucker colson from fox news defending her because she was concerned about vaccinations and everything and yeah there's just this kind of like this this kind of fellowship now of this ideological kind of mush now that just wasn't there when i was growing up i even like cover this in my book about how like back in the old days like corporations were seen as like right wing and christian or something (laughs) and and
0: family values yeah
1: family values whilst now corporations because you have like google and apple and they promote things you know which is good or whatever like you know they prov- they're they more likely to promote like black lives matter and trans rights and lgbt rights and everything so therefore there's like some of the weird thing now where like corporations aren't necessarily seen by progressive people as bad it's like oh yeah amazon jeff bezos from amazon really stuck it to those you know confederate those in the the deep South by refusing to um, set up an Amazon branch there because of their policies on this or that or whatever, their right wing policy. So then it's just become like this weird muddle where it's like you have these, the richest companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And I've got this veneer of wokeness and, and because of that, you've got lefties who are on the side of these huge corporations and it's, it's all a mess and a muddle, which Bad news for the world. Good news for storyteller John Safran, (laughs) who likes a mess.
0: Absolutely. So there's a question to ask everyone before we wrap things up, John, and that's uh, if you could do anything and you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you do? And I'll remind you that last time I asked you this, you said that perhaps you'd like to try your hand at writing some fiction. And that hasn't happened in the three years since. So is that still something on your plate? Is there something else that you think you'd love oh, to do?
1: What a gotcha. <laughs> this whole this whole what a gotcha. This whole interview was like leading up to that. Yeah, where's
0: your screenplay? Attack me for not writing fiction. <laughs>
1: the um...
0: fiction is at least something you could no, write no, during lockdown. You could no, write no, that no, I in lockdown. Do it in my personal life.
1: <laughs> I do it in my personal life. I wouldn't worry about my creative life. My creative life. I, I'm so protective of my like creative integrity and making sure everything's funny and good or whatever. Cause it's like, that's all I have left. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so like most people have like personal integrity and just their work is really bad. Like, you know, they don't know how to, <laughs> yeah. But I'm like the opposite or whatever, you know, like, it's like where it's like, Oh my God, I've got this one thing that if I really concentrate hard and put a lot of effort into it, like it's going to be good or whatever. And then it's like, yes, I definitely like not fail. It'd be something to do with my personal life um, rather than my creative life. So it wouldn't be, oh, writing fiction. It'd be something in my personal life.
0: That sounds like some personal evolution over the last few years, John. You've done some soul searching. Yeah, and so or some
1: acknowledge- yeah, 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 I've done some acknowledgement that <laughs> I'm just a husk, an emotional husk <laughs> of a person in my r-
0: real life. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. I I, I hope and pray (laughs) that uh, we can- Well, I'm
1: I'm glad you think it's great that my (laughs) emotional life is an emotional
0: hustle. No, no, it's great that you've identified this uh, area of self-improvement, John. And and I can say now, you know, I was going to say, I hope and pray that we can get out of this lockdown so that you can write your next book. Because I know that how hard that would be if you couldn't hang out with Father Bob and uh, Nazis or whatever it is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I agree
0: with you. Let's hope very soon I can hang out with Nazis. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast, John. No, thank you. Fantastic.
1: Okay. See you later.
0: Thank you for listening and thanks to Audio Technica. Shout out to Penguin Random House Australia for sending a review copy of Puff Piece. You can buy it now at any good bookshop. It's also an audiobook. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that good stuff. And if you really enjoyed it, you can support 8-Bit and all the work we do over at koficom slash we are 8-Bit. That's K-O-F-I. You can follow me on social medias at Jono himself. And until next episode, keep putting in work.